1: as we dive into our, our teaching text this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians in your New Testament. Uh, you might remember I've got a free hack for remembering where this is within the New Testament because uh, sometimes it can be hard to find. If you will remember General Electric Power Company, what? General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you're flipping and you find yourself, your first open is right there in the middle somewhere, you know which way to turn, General Electric Power Company, uh, but as you turn today, do you have some favorite verses from Philippians? Like maybe you've heard some verses that stick out. Maybe they're on your coffee mug at home this morning. Maybe maybe you've heard this one. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You ever heard that one before? Yeah, that's Philippians. That's 4.13. And we see that on basketball sneakers. We see, even see it tattooed on one MMA fighter's chest. I, I'm n- not saying that's what we're going to do in this series, but... We see it a lot in our culture, right? Maybe you think of chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a profound truth and a profound statement of faith. One that I reflect on or find myself looking at quite a bit here of late is chapter 2 verse 13 where it says for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Philippians 2 13. I'd also confess that there's I probably have a least favorite verse and it comes right after this as a matter of fact Uh, and I say least favorite because I find myself having to wrestle with it more than I would care to admit to a room full of people. Uh, That's Philippians 2.14 where it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing, or some translations say complaining. And I know some of y'all are smiling and chuckling, yeah, yeah. Next time you're having a hard day, you chew on that and let me know how it goes. (laughs) I'm just saying, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Philippians is a unique letter. (laughs) I'm not even going to chase that one down. Philippians is a unique letter. Uh, Paul doesn't expressly tackle deep theological issues or doctrinal matters within the church like he does in so many of his other letters. Uh, Philippians really reads like a thank you card, Uh, but it really, it still contains rich teaching encouragement on how to live the Jesus life amidst the challenges of our day to day. You see, it contains a lot of key practices and ideas that are essential to walking out your faith in our everyday going-to-work, school, shopping lives. It's uplifting and encouraging, yet it will challenge you at your innermost person. So today, I want to welcome you to our new teaching series, the beginning of a nine-week study of the book of Philippians called Living the Jesus Life. Living the Jesus life. This series is next up, and what's become an annual practice of of spending time focusing on one book of the Bible, deep dive uh, in the Scriptures. Uh, Each week, we're going to take a a specific portion of the letter and dive into its its themes, its highlights, its ideas, uh, to see the truth that is equipping us as followers of Jesus in 2023. You might say that this letter, the Philippians, is an ideal manual for living life as a disciple of Jesus in our time. And so our journey begins today at chapter 1, verse 1 of Philippians. I would invite you to turn there. The text will be on the screen. It's also in uh, your YouVersion notes if you're on the Bible app. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together as we dive into God's Word. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you today uh, for your Word. Lord, we thank you today that the same Spirit that indwelled the Apostle Paul, that caused him to write this truth, Lord, is alive and present in us today to help us hear this truth afresh and anew from you. And so, Lord, as we dive in, we don't want to read this text alone, Lord. We want you to apply its truth to our hearts. So, Lord, we're coming before you, uh, seeking you, Lord, seeking to be transformed by you. And so, Lord, help us to hear the truth that the Apostle Paul is communicating and help us to see it lived out, Lord, in our lives for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So what we call the book of Philippians is really a personal letter uh, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was in prison under the Roman uh, authorities, the Roman government, when he penned this letter to his friends at Philippi. Uh, the church at Philippi was one of the first that he established uh, in Eastern Europe on his missionary endeavors. Uh, it, it's about 10 years before the authorship of this letter that we would find the story in Acts uh, 16. You can read there uh, how Paul and his companions had traveled to Philippi, and and they planned to stay just a couple of days. Uh, so this city uh, was thoroughly Roman, and what I mean by that is very patriotic, very loyal to the Roman Empire, and it's believed that there was many retired Roman military that called Philippi home. Uh, And it's also believed that there wasn't quite enough Jewish population there. There wasn't enough men uh, to start an official synagogue. And so believers, followers of God that wanted to worship and pray just went outside the city gates and gathered together in prayer and reading of God's word. And and so as Paul and his companions have traveled and they're residing there in a brief stay, uh, they, they go outside the city to gather and to pray And there they encounter a wealthy woman named Lydia. Uh, She was a dealer of purple and clothing, and and it's believed that she was very, very wealthy. And so the story of Philippians really begins with a move of the Holy Spirit uh, in Lydia's life, and throughout her whole household, this Jesus community is birthed as the Apostle Paul preaches the good news of Christ. And so it began in their household and spread out, and that personal connection is one of the reasons that this community, uh, this letter, is so special to the Apostle Paul. Uh, they uh, faced many challenges. Uh, you know, that when you say Jesus is Lord, you're essentially saying Uh, Caesar is not and that's a problem in a patriotic town but despite all of the challenges the church there the community remained vibrant and active and throughout the years they would continue to support the apostle Paul and his ministry endeavor sending him financial aid and relief and really that's how uh, this letter began as a response to their generous gift of support. Let's continue there in verse 3 of chapter 1. As we're going to unpack a little deeper, a little further in later chapters uh, down the road, we're going to see that the church, the community of Jesus believers there at Philippi, had commissioned a man named Epaphroditus, and no, you don't need a prescription for that. It was a man's name uh, there in the early church. He was commissioned to carry a relief gift, if you will, a financial contribution to Paul's aid while he was in prison there in Rome. And so uh, you can imagine Paul's dear friends show up and he gets to engage. He gets to hear stories about what's happened, about what God's been doing. And yeah, sure, about the challenges that they're facing and the needs that the community has. And so the text we have today in this letter is really his response. He's sending it back down the road as an encouragement on in the faith. And as we dive in, only six verses in, uh, we can tell that the, the savor or the flavor, if you will, of this letter is different. Uh, it's different from some of the other letters that Paul would write. And we find there in verse 4, four verses in, Paul brings in this idea of joy. This idea of joy. He makes it clear that as he prays for them, as he remembers them, as he reflects on all those memories, he does so with joy. Uh, I I was talking this past week with a friend, Pastor Roger Dove. You may remember him. He was here probably two months ago, and he preached on a signet ring. He had a candle and wax he would stamp the signet ring in. But uh, either way, Pastor Roger is a dear friend of mine, great mentor in the faith. And I was talking to him on Monday, and he asked me the proverbial question on a Monday morning. And that's, what are you preaching on Sunday? I'm like, come on. Like it's kind of this running joke, right, among pastors. As soon as you get through Sunday and you step into Monday, what are you preaching on next Sunday? You're just like, oh, I just got done. But, so he asked me, what are you preaching on? And I'm just going, oh, like I don't like Jesus or something, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, we talked on a little bit, and I told him, I said, well, we're, we're beginning a study on Philippians. And you know, it was so interesting, Roger, almost like the Apostle Paul, as he thought about the Philippians, his joy and his tempo began to rise up a little bit because he began reflecting on some of the lessons and some of the studies that he has done. And just a moment of history for you, as a church, Church of the Nazarene, you know we're one church in multiple locations. Well, in our history, in years past, we have done a study through Philippians before. And so he was recounting from 20 or 30 years ago those lessons and joyous things that he learned. Uh, and so we're, we're talking, and he's, he's talking about some of the stories and the studies and he rather quickly gets to this point. He says, without missing a beat, you have to know, Roger. He says, don't use the word happiness in your messages or you've missed the whole point of Philippians. What did you say? He said, don't use happiness in your messages or you will have missed the whole point of Philippians. Okay, Roger. Now, so what he was saying there is that Paul isn't writing about happiness. You know, because happiness is so fleeting, right? Happiness is emotional, it's circumstantial, it's fickle, but joy, what the Apostle Paul is unpacking here, what he's uh, showing uh, us today is joy, something that's transcendent, that's not dependent on our circumstances or dependent on what we can do because it's a gift of the Spirit. It's concrete, it's peace and trust and knowing that God is in control. That's joy. And so he said, Don't confuse it. Don't use happiness, or you're going to miss the whole point. Check. Not going to use happiness throughout this message. Thanks, Pastor Roger. (laughs) But you you see that as we'll journey throughout this letter, joy, or the idea of rejoicing, appears more than a dozen times, and there's only a couple chapters to this letter. So it's a very prevalent theme and commissioned by the Apostle Paul. And, And just pause there for a moment and think about that from a human perspective. Joy and rejoicing is a prominent theme in a letter written by a man in a Roman prison, likely chained to a Roman guard. Joy? I mean, I have space issues. Being that close to another person, much less chained to them, it's like weirding me out. But yet joy permeates for the Apostle Paul. You see, there's a difference there in joy and happiness. Joy will transcend the challenges that we're experiencing. You you see, 10 years ago, uh, when Paul first came through there in Acts 16, uh, during their first visit, him and his companions, they were harassed by a demon-possessed woman for days. So they finally uh, pray over her, and when she's restored, the, the people that were profiting off of her have Paul and them arrested. So he's been harassed, now he's arrested. Then he gets beaten by rods and thrown into prison. We left joy like a while ago, right? (laughs) But yeah, so he's in prison, and it's only by an earthquake, a miraculous move of God, that they get set free. Then the next day, like they get kicked out of town. They're saying, get out of here. And I'm just sitting there thinking, joy doesn't seem like the usual response, right? Like that's some hard stuff. But there's something going on there. It would be unusual If it wasn't for Jesus, joy would be impossible in that moment if it wasn't for Jesus. You you see, we we begin to see that Paul's thinking a little differently about things, that he views life differently because of the person of Jesus. He sees everything happening to him, the challenges, uh, the hard times. He sees all of that under the authority of Jesus Christ. His confidence is not in his circumstance. It's in his relationship with Jesus. And friends, the Jesus life for Paul I mean, this is just one snippet of imprisonment and beating and being run out of town. His life was not free of immense challenge and pain. But yet, despite all of those ups and downs, he has a deep-seated peace, an inner calm and even a joyous delight in the midst of those circumstances. He could live a life like that, a confidence like that, experience joy like that only because of Jesus and seeing everything, everything under the authority of him. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, who writes a book uh, called Laugh Again, And it's a great work on this letter of Philippians, and I'm sure you'll hear me quote it throughout the series. But uh, within that book, he he quotes a a story of a man who, for 15 years, he had given his life, his heart, his soul, his everything into building a successful business. And it had gone well. He had built it from the ground up. Uh, But with that growth and with that success came a lot of the things that will normally accompany that, right? Like uh, weariness, worry, anxiety, stress. Uh, You start losing sleep. You start being afraid of the days ahead because of the burden that is upon you. Uh, well, this has gone on in this man's life for 15 years now, and, and it's finally just too much. The stress, the worry, it, it's robbing too much from him. And he says, I- I'm going to give it all to the Lord. And, and so he prays, he, he kneels down and, and says, Lord, this business is yours. All the worry, the stress, the fears, I I give it to you in your sovereign plan. It's just a prayer of surrender, giving it to the Lord. Lord, I release it to you from here out. It's yours. And he says that night uh, he was able to go to bed earlier because he didn't have the worry and the torment. And he slept better than he had for years prior but in the middle of the night the phone's ringing and he awakens and grabs the phone and, and a panicked voice on the other end of the line is shouting fire fire the whole place is going up in smoke and so the man gets out of bed and gets dressed and, and drives on down to the plant and as he arrives and the scene is going on he kind of stands there hands in his pockets he's just watching all this go on and he, he gets a weird smile on his face And an employee comes rushing up to him and says, what in the world are you smiling about? Like the whole place is going up in flames. How can you be so calm? And the man simply replied, yesterday afternoon, I gave all this to God. And if he wants to burn it up, I suppose that's his business. We hear stories like that. Stories like the Apostle Paul writing joyously while he's chained to a Roman guard. And we think, that is craziness. What is that? What is that? And for us to be honest, without Jesus, without him being the sole focus and center point of your life, it is crazy. But there is a power in the person of Jesus that makes that possible. It makes it possible. Friends, we're faced with a question in this text. Do you have a life like that? Do you have that joy, that peace, that confidence in Christ that transcends what's going on in your life? Do you want a life like that? Do you want a life like that? Perhaps... As we begin in this journey and continue on, we can follow the Apostle Paul's example of triumphant faith, triumphant living with our eyes fixed on the person of Jesus, with everything laid before him in his control. As Paul continues to move through his text, he, working through his greeting, he moves from a, a joyous gratitude to heartfelt affection. For his brothers and sisters, and that's where we'll begin in verse 7 as we continue. He says, "'It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus.'" And Paul is saying here that that he is likening, he's loving the Philippians with the love of Jesus, as if Jesus is loving them, so is the Apostle Paul. And you can just imagine the encouragement, the uplifting, yes, the joy that this letter and encouragement would have brought the Christians there in Philippi. And as Paul continues, we're going to just keep moving here at verse 9. He reveals really the content. As um, Paul is thinking and reflecting on his friends and remembering them, he's also praying. And he reveals the contents of his prayer. So so think about this as you're listening. As Paul thinks about all that's going on, all of his friends, when he wants to petition the Lord and on their behalf, this is what he's praying for. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so as Paul is remembering, reflecting, uh, considering maybe even some of the challenges that this Jesus community has, as he remembers them so fondly, he is asking, his first petition is that their love would abound, would grow more and more Now, to be honest, as a pastor, leader of a church, I I thought maybe a good prayer would have been something more like, I pray that your attendance is growing more and more. Right? Like, we love numbers. I can't run an Excel sheet, but I still like numbers. Maybe the prayer would have been, I pray that, friends in Philippi, your budgets are fully funded more and more. Woo! Overflowing with finances. No? Maybe. Maybe I would have thought the prayer would have been, I pray that your people sign up to serve more and more. But he doesn't pray for any of that. That's not where he's thinking. As he looks to the Lord and he asks on their behalf, he's asking that their love would abound more and more. And that's the idea of overflowing, of can't contain the love that is growing within them. And the word for love here is agape in the Greek, and we talked about that a good bit, but it's the real deal. It's sacrificial. It's serving. It's persevering, long-suffering love. And so he's praying that that love would overflow, that it would abound. And I just hear the Bellamy brothers singing in the back of my head, Let your love flow. Like a bird on a wing, let you... Yeah, sorry, classic country rewind. Uh, But you hear this idea that let the love pour out of you abound. You can't contain the sacrificial serving love that's been poured out in you. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't qualify this love. He doesn't say love for attendance or love for people outside the church or in the church. He doesn't qualify it. And I think he's trying to get us to see that we would just be people overflowing with love we would be known by that that we would be known by our love of God and our pursuit of him and that we would be known by how we love one another and how we welcome others into our community that we would be known as people of love but he doesn't stop there You see, he he gives love some guidance, if you will, some guardrails. He says, I pray that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Look, I, I never doubted the Apostle Paul, but right here I'm quite aware that he knows how to pray for a body of believers, whether it's in... 70 A.D., 2,000 years ago, or it's in 2023. You see, a a great challenge in living the Jesus life is seeing our love grow in knowledge and insight. That we can be discerning in our love because we have a desire to be gracious, to be kind, to be welcoming. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the banner inside the foyer, welcome. We, we have a desire to be welcoming and loving people, but Paul is saying here, look out. We need to grow in discernment and knowledge because we can't freely accept everything that comes our way. We have to be discerning. And so he's right on target here. He's right on target here, praying that the Lord would increase knowledge, that he would increase discernment so that they can be godly discerners of ethical and moral matters in our lives and our communities. And friends, can I just say, I pray that over us a lot because our world is changing. It's diverse and we need love that is discerning and wise. And parents, like if you think about what you want for your children, isn't this it? Like you want your kids to grow in love and to be people that are madly in love with Jesus, following Him with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you want them to love others, to be understanding and gracious, but you also want them to be wise. Because we know that there's an enemy out there that is seeking to kill and destroy them. And so we want them to be wise and discerning in how they love and to make good choices. That's the essence of what Paul is praying for the church. And that's my prayer for us in these days and in the days ahead. May our love grow in knowledge and insight that we can be good discerners of love. Paul concludes uh, his prayer asking that the Lord uh, would, that the Philippians there would be filled. uh, And this imagery here is of a tree laden down with fruit. It can't hardly bear the weight of the fruit that it's produced he's saying, I pray that the Philippians would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Seven times in this sequence, Paul has mentioned Christ, and specifically, he's concluding and focusing uh, his prayer that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, and it, it it may be too simple, uh, it may be too elementary or too obvious, but Friends, the only way to live the Jesus life, the only way to live the Jesus life is in and through the person of Jesus himself. That's it. That's it. But yet, there's Christians all around us, there's struggles in our own lives that we uh, uh, try to, to live this out, but we struggle We may be add-on Christianity as an afterthought or an add-on or my checkbox for Sunday's activities. But you see, for Paul, there's never any doubt that the righteousness of Christ, the right standing, right relationship with God and, and right living in relationship with others only can be found through the person of Jesus. The Bible tells us that our righteousness, the best that we can come up with, is like garbage, it's like filthy rags before the Lord. Paul's praying that their lives would be different because of Jesus. That their relationship with Jesus would uh, form in them right living, right uh, loving, uh, right relationship with the Lord that's only going to come through Jesus and that that his life within them would transform how they related to one another and the rest of the world. That it wouldn't just be a checklist or an add-on but that the life of Jesus would be all-encompassing of them to the glory of God. Uh, As the band makes their way forward. You remember my conversation with Pastor Roger uh, this past week. Uh, He said something else that really made me stop, and um, I think it's going to be powerful over the next couple weeks. Uh, We're talking, I hadn't even told him the name of the series yet, Uh, he's kind of got him started and he just started rolling about Philippians, Uh, but we're talking about the Jesus life, right? Like uh, some of the themes of of joy and and we're going to unpack later in the weeks ahead, the mind of Christ, oh, I can't wait, Uh, how that will transcend and and change our lives and uh, we're talking about how Jesus gives confidence and hope and joy in the midst of immeasurable adversity, And we're talking about these things. And then without missing a beat, he says, Most people want a life like that, but they don't live it. Whoa. What'd you say? Most people want a life like that, but they don't live it. Wow. You see, we want a life like Paul's, right? I mean, maybe let's hold the prison and the beatings. Uh, Let's hold that. But we aspire to have a faith like that, right? To have wise and discerning love, to be image bearers of God in and through our world. We desire to have that joy, that peace, that no matter what our world brings, no matter the challenges that come, we can sing, it is well with my soul. We want that kind of life, but we don't live it. We don't live into the reality of who Jesus is. And the power that that gives us to live differently. Most people want a life like that, but they don't live it. Why? <laughs> Why? I mean, i got to ask me that question, and you've got to ask you that question. Why don't we? Why don't we? live into the beauty, the truth, the power of who Jesus is, why don't we live that life? You're going to have to pray and work that out. But I, I think we can share in some of those challenges together. What, why don't we live into that life, into that truth, into our inheritance as Jesus followers? Uh, I, I sometimes think we step into this Jesus thing at about 65 or 70%. We're holding back. You know, we want to approach Christ and have him do great things for us, and we we call him Lord, but yet I'm still going to be Lord of my life back here in this area. I'm going to cling to this thing. You see, when we're embracing and we're refusing to let go, we're refusing to surrender, we're missing the fullness of the Jesus life. I think we miss it because we're not all in. I think sometimes we try to be good people apart from the work of Jesus in our hearts. You see, I think that we try to clean ourselves up. We try to be good people, and we're not sourcing that goodness in Jesus. We haven't invited him in. We haven't allowed him to do that deep heart work in our own lives yet because maybe we're scared or we're afraid or we're afraid of what he's going to find. And so we hold him at bay and we try to live the good life on our own. Friends, that's not living the Jesus life. I think we have a preference for living our way. (laughs) We have a preference for doing things our way, for being in control. Any time that we're refusing to live fully surrendered to Jesus, any time we're living in preference of our control, we're missing the fullness of the Jesus life. We're missing it. We're missing it. Or we think that peace and that life can only happen when things are smooth sailing. I don't know what water you're sailing on, but they're rarely smooth, are they? And so all of those things that we think will give us life that we're trying so hard, they never live up to their uh, promise of the good life. They always leave us lacking, wondering, what is going on? Why am I not living the fullness? So many people want a life like that, but they don't live it. Do you want to live the Jesus life? Really? Really? Live the Jesus life, friends. It begins in surrender. In looking only to Him. In allowing Him to plunge the depths of your heart. Allowing Him to have full control of your lives. To have full sway in every aspect of who you are. We invite Him into everything we do. Lord, where are we going for lunch today? What are we going to do tomorrow, Lord? What are we going to do about so-and-so family member? You see, we bring Jesus into the fullness of our life. We accept every part of who He is, and we say, yes, Lord, yes. And all of our lives is viewed in relationship with Jesus. That's how you can be chained to a Roman guard in prison and right with joy, because of Jesus. And friends, that's the secret sauce, if you will, of living the Jesus life in your story today, will you give everything to Him? Release your control, release your heart, and pursue intimacy with Him, and experience joy and peace that passes understanding. It's the Jesus life. As we continue on this journey, that's really the essence of Philippians. (laughs) To see all of, of who we are in the person of Jesus. So as we begin this journey today, it's an important question. Will you live the Jesus life? Fully surrendered to Him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you just so humbled and so grateful for. The Apostle Paul, Lord, and, and his writings and, and what he had discovered, Lord, through intimacy with you, that beyond beatings and imprisonments and shipwrecks and so many things, Lord, he found joy and peace through relationship with you. And, Lord, we see the power, the beauty, the, and we hear the invitation of living the Jesus life. And today, we just want to say, yes, Lord yes yes Lord we want to live the Jesus life and so Father will you search our hearts today plunge the depths of who we are the places we've been hanging on to the unwillingness to let go of some things or to see things your way Lord we want to say yes to you that we too can experience intimacy with you search our hearts today God Show us where we're holding back or where we're afraid or where we're unwilling, Lord. And may we give it to you. because the the fruit of righteousness in our lives, to be trees loaded down with the good fruit of who you are, is only going to happen with you. So we say yes, Lord. Search our hearts. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.